This is the Go Pack Podcast with your host, Jessica Curtis. I'm Jessica Curtis, Executive Director of GoPack and host of the GoPack Podcast. Today, we have the great pleasure in speaking with Dan Constant, President of the Congressional Leadership Fund. CLF is endorsed both by Republican House leadership and their sister group, the American Action Network. CLF and GoPack share one common bond, the goal of winning Republican majorities. Dan, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to join. Right out of the gate, what is your favorite part of your job? Oh, that's a good question. We are lucky at CLF to have the support of House Republican leadership and to have the confidence of a great many donors across this country that is allowing us to raise a significant amount of resources. And when you look at where we are positioned and where we have historically been, we just have such an incredible ability to influence the map to influence who comes to Congress to do our part to winning a majority. And we're at an interesting time in politics. We're in an important time for this country. And when you look at, at our ability to really help decide who is going to represent in this next Congress in races all across the country, that's an honor. And it's one that, that we're really proud to to play our part. Absolutely. The Congressional Leadership Fund and the American Action Network raised a combined $110 million in 2021, which totally smashed your previous record of a combined $66 million raised. The fundraising is a huge threat to House Democrats. With more cash on hand than ever before, how are these two entities assisting candidates in helping to take back the House? Yeah, so CLF is the House Republican super PAC focused on winning a, a majority in, in Congress. So CLF is the, the group really primarily focused on getting uh, a majority. Look, a week ago, the DCCC chair, Sean Patrick Maloney, at the House Democratic retreat, identified our fundraising as one of the primary concerns he had for the majority. And he called us out and he said, this is really what concerning him is our advantage over uh, the Democrats version in, in House Majority PAC um, and their C4. So we are at a very good financial position. We raised $110 million between our two groups. CLF alone raised over 60, I believe $65 million with $61 million on hand. And we're raising further. But what that's going to allow us to do, going to allow us to be in a position to play defining roles in winning the marquee win congressional races all across this country, and it's going to allow us to play a big role in expanding this map into traditional Democrat-held seats. We know the political environment is really good. We also accept that the universe of swing seats is quite small, so we believe that our financial advantage can really be a difference maker here in running soup-to-nuts campaigns in top-tier districts and in districts that, you know, perhaps Democrats don't really expect to be contending right now. Right, right. So gains House Republicans made in in 2020 centered on candidates who really only were women, minorities, and veterans. Has that helped you with candidate recruitment this cycle? And are there any trends in profiles in candidates that you're targeting? Yeah, as, as you said, look, last cycle, every single seat that flipped from Democrat to Republican was won by a Republican woman or a Republican minority. Many of these candidates were veterans, and this really starts with Leader McCarthy. He said at the outset in 2019, he said, you can't say you're going to do recruitment differently, but do the same thing. We prioritized candidates 
that reflected their districts, that reflected their electorates, candidates of character, of heroism, of real achievement outside of politics. I don't think it is any surprise then that those were the candidates that were the ones that then flipped all these Democrat-held seats. With that track record, it has absolutely helped in candidate recruitment this cycle. We have impressive, meritorious, many more diverse candidates coming forward and saying, I want to be part of a future House Republican majority. We've also worked to recruit top-tier candidates in. One place where CLF in particular played a key role was in helping John James into the congressional race. John was a you know a standout candidate that ran for the Senate. We actively wanted him in the House. There was a congressional district, a swing seat in Detroit where he lived that we thought would be perfect for him. CLF polled on multiple occasions and we really helped make the case to John that this is the right kind of place for him to run. He was looking at, at running for Congress already, and he makes his own decisions. And he, he rightly you know, moved forward and said Congress is the right place for him. We're excited that he's now one of many really impressive recruits that has come forward. And what's the effect of that? Well, in this district in Michigan, it's called Michigan 10. It may not be all that competitive of a seat because of the strength of a candidate like John James. There's candidates all across the country that we feel like are in similar positions, that they are stars in the making, that they have the ability to really not only win, but become impressive members of Congress that are future national stars. And these are the kind of candidates that can hold districts when it's a tough year. It's easier, you know, when you're getting in a year like this to win, But we know we need to hold a lot of those seats in years to come. Right, absolutely. Last week, the Wall Street Journal released a new survey showing 57% of voters are unhappy with President Biden's performance. Shocking. Um, Putting him 15 points underwater. The survey also shows Republicans are gaining with African Americans and Hispanic voters. How are House Republicans and candidates able to capitalize on this? It's a good question. I think the first is a recognition that the political environment is really good for a multitude of reasons, but the the first among them is that President Biden is just toxic. He's toxic with the middle of the electorate. He's lost swing voters. His base is also depressed. Of those 43 that support President Biden, his level of support is, is really quite weak. His base is just not seeing a lot of results for him while he's completely alienated swing voters. So that's going to allow us and candidates on the Republican side to move forward and and really play in more Democrat-leaning districts. Districts President Biden won by five. Districts President Biden won by 10 points. That is going to allow you know us a lot of opportunity that we wouldn't have if the president were in a better position. In terms of movement among subgroups, There's a realignment going on in a big part of this country with Hispanic voters. You look at the Rio Grande Valley, where President Obama and then Hillary Clinton carried these three districts in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas by 20, 30, 35 points. And they swung hard towards Republicans in 2020. We think that there is a significant amount of opportunity in those districts. In all three, we expect to have impressive Latina, three women, Latina candidates. 
moving through. Monica De La Cruz already has, Myra Flores already has, and Spectacity Garcia will as well, who would be against potentially Congressman Henry Cuellar. But this is in other places as well. And I'll give an example of a great recruit and uh, an opportunity. In Tucson, it's a, a district that Ann Kirkpatrick is retiring from, so we were able to get a retirement. We helped recruit a candidate, Juan Siscomani. Juan used to work for Governor Ducey. He was a, a business leader in the community. He has a, a great family, six kids. Juan, we think, has the potential to be a, a star member in a future Republican majority. This is a district that's one of the heaviest Hispanic populations in the whole country. There's lots of opportunities this cycle because of how much Hispanics are moving towards Republicans. And we get a great Hispanic recruit, we get a retirement, and we feel really good about our, our chances in a district like that. Which is fantastic. And I mean, you kind of mentioned it, but we've we've already seen 23 House Democrat retirements. So my ask of you is, you know, when all things are said and done in, in November and, and we've passed Election Day, what's the Republican majority going to look like? How many seats do you think we're going to have? Well, so we have prioritized trying to engineer retirement this year, and I think we've had some good success with it. I think the number is all the way up to, to 31 retirements at this point. And that allows us to, it's much easier to win an open seat than it is to beat an entrenched incumbent. Mm-hmm. Entrenched incumbents have more money. Uh, they also have built-in name ID and, and some relationship with their voters. But when we're able to get a, a retirement, it allows us to clear the deck. It allows us to, to, to run against, in most cases, a, a much weaker candidate, certainly one that's not as well funded. And it allows us to move down the field and, and, and move into additional districts because it costs less mm-hmm. and it's easier to win that seat. So like in Florida, a member of Congress who we didn't even run against last cycle and Stephanie Murphy, no ads were done by us because she was perceived to be too strong. Well, we made, TLF made her one of our initial targets. We started with early online advertising last August in her district. We were relentless. And in December, Congressman Murphy walked away. Now in Orlando, that race could have cost us uh, close to $10 million, just our organization alone. Because she's retiring, a district like that becomes substantially easier to win. How it relates to to where we ultimately get to this cycle, we know the wind is behind our backs. And we are going to try to expand this map and work as diligently as possible to win every seat that's available. At the same token, from redistricting, the universe of swing seats is much, much smaller than it ever was before. There's probably a third less traditional swing seats. So I think a great night, great night is winning the majority. A great night is winning, you know, more than, oh, 25 seats. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that, that would put us in a great place. And I think um, it's in the mid-30s would be the, the largest House Republican majority in 100 years. Which would be amazing. That would be fantastic. Knowing you're a uh, Pennsylvanian, what can we expect out of the Senate race out there? And then, you know, kind of beyond that, who's your favorite sports team? Well, I, I was a long-suffering Eagles fan, and then we won the Super Bowl a few years ago, so I'm a, a content Eagles fan. I'm a long-suffering New York Jets fan, so I, I feel you. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. 
know, you have a lot to mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. to complain about. But no, I'm a big, big Eagles fan. The, the, you know, the Senate race is exciting. You know, obviously we're not playing in the Senate. I think a number of the candidates are really quite impressive. What, what just sort of jumps out to me is that, you know, a year ago, there weren't a lot of candidates stepping forward for that seat. And fast forward with how good the political environment is. And really, you know, how much uh, damage Democrats are doing to the country. And suddenly you have a whole slew of really impressive candidates moving forward. And I think that says the most about what our prospects are in uh, in Pennsylvania this year. Right. Kind of big picture wise, nationally, what's one sleeper race that no one is talking about currently that you think should be on people's radars? Yeah, New York 18. That is the, the district of the DCCC chairman, Sean Patrick Maloney. He is a good bit more vulnerable than I think he wants to admit. And and I believe that's not a race that's been on many people's radars. It's a district that, that Joe Biden won by eight points. Hillary Clinton won it narrowly, I believe, by one. There's a an impressive, energetic, young recruit and Colin Schmidt, who's a state representative who is working his tail off every day. And Congressman Maloney is as out of touch as he has ever been. He seems focused on doing national media to elevate himself in liberal circles. And that's great. And he should continue to do that because it, it puts him in a position where he is just crosswise with his voters. And and I don't think that that's a race that, that they expect to lose just yet. But we think we have lots of opportunity there. Yeah, and I, I I have some familiarity with that as that is my uh, congressional seat in New York, and and um, Sean Patrick Maloney is my parents' congressman. You I'm know, sorry to hear that for you. <laughs> yes, I have a vested interest in New York 18. So candidates like Colin, who I agree, he's he's a, a rising star. You know, what do you think is as we're less than eight months from election day? What's the most important message for Republican candidates like Colin to convey to their constituents and voters? Look, the country is in a a really tough economic position right now. Inflation is unfortunately causing a tremendous amount of pain for nearly everyone. It hurts middle-class voters. It hurts working-class voters even more. This is something that affects nearly everyone on a daily basis. And I think speaking to that concern, speaking to that pain, offering solutions, and pointing out that Democrats have no plan whatsoever to fix this is probably the most important message. But I will say also that the country's facing real crime and public safety issues in in a great many cities. Many of these were brought on because of the Democratic push to to defund the police. You're now seeing it in, in big city after big city, the consequences of those policies. And we think a message about public safety and the importance of public safety being supported and funded is key. We think Democrats believe that they are in a really bad position on this as their party is now trying to sort of do an about face and claim that they never supported defund the police. Well, we have the receipts and and we know that that that's exactly what they did. And and what what should be concerning if you're an incumbent Democrat is that voters know it too. And voters are not stupid. And they know that when a party says for two years, defund the police, that that means that party was for defunding the police. Voters know that when they don't hear anything about how to deal with inflation for two years, um, and you hear just that it's transitory, but then it's not, 
well, they're going to form their own conclusions. And then I think those are important messages for Republican candidates to talk about. And if I were a Democrat running for Congress this year, I would be very worried about how I deal with those issues. Absolutely. Give us three districts that you think will be bellwethers here in in 2022 if we win them. Um, That would be kind of a telling sign of what to expect in 24. Yeah, there are a great many, but I'll give you two districts in Virginia. Virginia 2, which Elaine Lurie is the incumbent in. Joe Biden won the seat by a couple, but Trump had won the seat in 2016. Uh, Virginia 7, um, which Abigail Spanberger represents that Joe Biden won the seat by seven. Colorado 8, a new district in outside of Denver, heavy energy presence, a lot of um, oil and gas jobs. Joe Biden won the seat by five. It's, it's an open seat since it's new. I think those are, are good bellwethers for just how good a night Republicans will have. And then um, in my home state of Pennsylvania, in um, Pittsburgh, now an open seat because Connor Lamb is running for the Senate, PA-17. Uh, that is a, a district that, that Biden won by a similar margin, about five points. But if, if we're winning those seats, then we think it's, uh, it's a very good night. Absolutely. Besides record inflation and, and our ever-rising gas prices lately, what would you say keeps you up at night? Well, that the election is eight months away. <laughs> no, look, um, we still have a lot of resources to raise. We believe that candidates need to be well-funded on the candidate side as well. Even though we are a super PAC and a soft dollar entity, we believe strongly in the importance of hard dollars to candidates, and we want to make sure that they are raising enough and that the ones in the right races are raising enough. So resources always are a concern. I don't think uh, President Biden is going to figure his way into a much better approval in the next eight months. But I do think it is possible that he regains some of the support from his base as the election draws closer. And then there's always, you know, the question of, of, you know, what do we not know? You know, at this point, Two years ago, we were just starting to face COVID, and that was obviously a substantial variable that greatly affected the 2020 presidential and and other elections. So there's always a surprise, and we can prepare as much as we can prepare, but at some point, you, you just never know what it's necessarily going to be. Right. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Hopefully we can have you back on um, after Election Day to celebrate all of our Republican victories and talk about them a, a fair amount. I look forward to that opportunity. I can make you one guarantee today. We're going to win the Republican. We're going to win a majority. And we look forward to, to celebrating that. And hopefully it's a significant majority. Amen. Amen. Dan Constant, president of the Congressional Leadership Fund. Thank you again. And thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you here next time on the Go Pack podcast. I'm Jessica Curtis.